channeling creativity can feel like fighting an internal battle, leaving behind a bloody fingerprint. So if there is a unique brand of art within you, why is creativity treated as something possessed by a lucky few? And is creativity really such a precious human trait anyway? Welcome to Season 1, Episode 11 of the Evolve Faster Podcast. I'm Scott Ely. The Bloody Fingerprint of Creativity A bloody fingerprint on a broken windshield, Eric said, for what felt like the hundredth time. That's the last thing I remember. Well, and the pain. It was a sharp head pain as I was trying... Ugh, God damn it, I don't know what I was trying to do. Pain in a bloody fingerprint right in front of my eyes. That's all I can remember before waking up in the hospital. Nothing else from the car crash, Eric? In our previous talks, you mentioned thinking you might have been in a bar. Do you remember getting in the car? Where were you going? Eric Clemens was attending the weekly conversation with his psychiatrist, Dr. Eden Harper. Suffering a great head injury, Eric lost key parts of his memory. Although the talks with Dr. Harper gave him some comfort that he might one day get his memory back, most of Eric's past lay under a thick veil of unknown. It was such a bizarre feeling. He could read, write, walk, talk, and recall lots of facts and information. Some of the things were just there, but all the stuff he should know about his life was just not there. And the events leading up to the accident, including the night it happened, were a total mystery. It was a very uncomfortable feeling when people around you knew things about you that you yourself didn't know. Eric continued with uncertainty. Well, yes, alcohol would make it more easy to accept. And I did say that once. But one thing I do remember is the doctors telling me when I woke up, my blood alcohol level was zero. So that wasn't it. And no recollection of the car or where I was going. It's so frustrating. Eric, what you're going through is a tough and uncommon type of post-trauma experience, Dr. Harper explained. Please try to not be so hard on yourself. It may not feel like it, but we're making progress. Let's change gears. Let's pick up where we left off last week, talking about your work life before the accident. Is that okay? Eric nervously scratched his head, as if he no longer trusted anything he was able to recall. Well, like I was saying, I don't remember my job exactly, but I was definitely a writer of some sort. Just the thought of sitting down to write makes me feel comfortable. I was glad you had me act on that impulse because I immediately knew it felt right. The thing I still can't figure out is, why doesn't it come easy? I've written down a few things now, and they're pretty good, I think, but I really struggle with it. If I was a writer, I'm not sure I was making any money at it. Dr. Harper seems surprised. Oh, I'm happy you've kept at it. There's a whole therapeutic approach called art therapy to help people rebuild themselves from trauma, pain, etc., using the process of exploring creativity. Do you have anything written you'd be willing to share with me? Eric's eyes went down as if embarrassed. Well, they're not really full stories yet, but I did have an interesting idea for a story recently. It's so strange to me that I somehow remember the joy of creativity, but I don't feel like an expert when I sit down to write. Maybe my skills got lost along with my memory? 
Although Eric didn't notice, Dr. Harper's eyes lit up for a second with an idea brewing in her head. Writing is easy, Eric. All you do is stare at a blank sheet of paper until drops of blood form on your forehead. Confused, Eric looked at Dr. Harper. Sorry, I'm not following you. What is that supposed to mean? Dr. Harper replied with a curious smile. It's a quote supposedly by a famous American journalist and writer named Gene Fowler. Although I don't think he actually said it, it's a nice way to describe any form of productive creativity, don't you think? Still confused, Eric replied, I guess, but what does that have to do with me? Dr. Harper crammed her notebooks and papers back in the bag as if the session was over. Listen, Eric, we've been trying to return your memory for a while now. So instead of having one of our regular conversations, let's do something different today. Let's use the feelings you have as a tool to try and dig something up. Think of this creative drive to write that you're feeling like a shovel you'll be using to dig up some well-buried treasure. Feeling no less confused, Eric agreed. All right, I guess, where do we start? Dr. Harper replied in her unhurried fashion. First of all, like most people, you misunderstand creativity. In your case, you have the unshakable feeling of creativity you're struggling to manifest. You even came up with what you think is a good story idea. How did you feel the moment you came up with the idea? Was it exciting? Eric pondered on the thought for a second, then answered, I'd say it was more than that. It was exhilarating. It was almost like I was in a trance. Yet as soon as I tried to project it onto the paper, the feeling faded. I remember feeling like a kid that couldn't wait to go home after school and play, only to realize that all my toys were gone. Dr. Harper listened carefully, then said, Exhilaration. You've probably heard of William James? As always, let me know if any references come up blank for you. But in general, your recall of facts and figures seem to be intact. Anyway, although his book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, is about the similarities between religious and drug experiences, he described creating art as a specific type of spiritual experience accessible to all. James argued we all crave to realize the hidden potential we have, to achieve it mentally by activating it physically. In other words, dreams, drugs, meditation, religious experience, all of these are different means to the same end. And no, James didn't think religious people were drug addicts, but he argued what a person experiences during an emotional religious experience comes from the same source as the sensation a person has when taking drugs or, say, writing a story for that matter. They are all ways to escape the spiritual emptiness that sometimes fills our soul. According to James, religion just so happened to be the most accessible source for most people due to its widespread nature and societal acceptance. But he felt the process of achieving this feeling is purely mental. The same wheels turn in your brain, no matter if you are dancing around the fire, taking drugs, praying in the church, or painting a beautiful picture. He also said the source of religious experience is often irrational and can have mysterious origins, but the result is usually positive. Eric looked confused. But how do people achieve this supposed spiritual experience? 
I have the feeling and I write down some ideas, but I can't seem to find the way to manifest the creativity. The only reason I can think of is this amnesia. Perhaps I forgot the process that takes me from the idea to actually creating something? Let's slow down, Eric. We've only started chipping away at this enormous mystery. What I want to point out with James's work is that maybe creativity isn't reserved for only the lucky few, especially if it's something that merely happens in your brain. According to neuroscientific research, in fact, the brain part in charge of admiring a beautiful piece of art is the same part activated when you're admiring a beautiful piece of tasty cake. Even the process of judging a piece of art happens in the same brain area where negative emotions such as disgust or pain originate. What felt like a long lost sensation, Eric couldn't help but laugh. Does it mean the genuine disgust we get when we see a pile of dog shit on the street makes us a professional art critic? This might explain the success of contemporary art. Dr. Harper replied with a smile. Possibly, Eric, but watch it. Some of us actually like modern art. Also, you'll allow me to notice the sentence you've just said is fairly creative. It won't get you a Pulitzer Prize, and many critics would give you that not-so-intellectual smirk. But it is creative. Now tell me, how did you come up with that creative sentence? Did you feel like you had to strain your brain muscles? Well, no, doctor. But it's just a remark, not a piece of quality writing. No, Eric, but it's the start. And as you see, the creative process is at play in your mind. Same as your story idea, and same as when I opened my first psychology book 20 years ago, or a farmer that planted the first seed that most likely bore no fruit. I'm sorry, doctor, but I'm not sure I'm following you. Are you saying that creativity and expressing art is as learnable as something like psychology or farming even? It seems possible, don't you think? Let me ask you a question. If we were solely rational beings, what would be the purpose of experiencing anything? Art and creativity might just be one of the most human things one can do. Think about it. Creativity fuses functionality, rational, irrational, and the feeling of ecstasy all in one. And where is the rule stating that only art can be a creative process? The creative joy can be found in anything as long as it's what you enjoy doing and put everything you have into it, from farming to psychology to writing a story. Kant argued that we take pleasure in judging something as beautiful simply because we find it pleasurable. In other words, we love the process of thinking something is beautiful rather than, let's say, the flower actually being beautiful. This is fascinating as it highlights the necessary subjectivity in the process of artistic appreciation. Now, Kant argued our comprehension of something is under the influence of our past experience, and we store the sensation in our subconscious, even the way we experience something we enjoy. To Kant, there wasn't an objective reason for something to be considered beautiful, and if stored in the dark corners of our mind, don't you think we might be digging something up here? Something that's uniquely yours? As Dr. Harper was talking, Eric's mind flashed back to the bloody fingerprint. Damn that thing. It was like fog on the inside of a car window. There was just no seeing around it, even if you just wanted a clear look 
at the road ahead. But this time, when he saw it, there were flashes of recognition. The recall was blurry and incomplete, but what he got upset him. It didn't feel like happy memories, if that's what they were. Was he once again sensing the frustration of his former life of struggling to create? Or was this something different? He shook his head in silent frustration. When he came up blank again, he said, do you think it's possible to get back my memories by writing? He then realized that, although he'd stopped listening to Dr. Harper, she'd gone silent and had been watching him. It's possible, Eric, especially if we view your situation as Carl Jung would have done. Jung thought all art originates in your subconscious. Jung himself started to paint, although not for the sake of art. Doing so was his experiment to try and understand the motivations behind creating art. He concluded that art, if investigated correctly, is the door to our mind. Even when we improvise, we're following a specific pattern that might not make sense to us, but it's logical to our mind. Our experiences and our past situations, fundamentally our whole life, directly influence what we create. This isn't limited to creating art, but everything in our lives. Imagine your life as a piece of art. When you're born, you start with a white canvas. Slowly, you start to create something, often without a plan or knowing what you're even painting. Maybe you find your first job. That's like splashing a bit of blue on the canvas. Then you meet your partner and this adds another splash of an entirely different color, maybe red. Overall, it takes some time until this slow chaos turns into a meaningful and desired shape. Sometimes you even tear up the entire canvas and start all over again. But in your case, it's as if someone cut the canvas out of the frame and put it in a well-hidden place. But it's not lost. You just have to find it and continue the work. So Eric, start writing. The story idea you had has your fingerprint all over it. Perhaps writing it will be the missing link back to the bloody fingerprint and how you ended up there. Art is like war, Eric. You have to keep showing up and fighting every day. With that, she picked up her portfolio and walked to the gate, ringing for the guard. The buzzer rang and she exited. Eric cringed as the metal bars of the cell clanged shut. All he could hear was her heels walking down the main corridor of the state mental ward. Click, click, click. Eric had developed the ability to hear Dr. Harper's heels the second they entered the hallway. There were times when he swore his ears perked up almost like a sixth sense just before they started clicking down the hall. He didn't know exactly how long he'd been in here, but according to the marks he'd made on his notebook, he'd met with Dr. Harper almost every week for a year. So at least until the amnesia cleared entirely, the doctors decided to continue his treatment. In other words, they meant to keep him locked up. No one ever came to visit, but since Eric didn't even know if he had anyone, he didn't care. There were no emotions to tie him to people he knew nothing about. All he cared about now were his weekly sessions with Dr. Harper and his writing. He had nothing else to do in here anyway, to get him inspired when they first began, Dr. Harper had him read a short book titled The War of Art. 
It was a short, self-help book of sorts by a famous author and screenwriter named Stephen Pressfield. He could summarize the book in a couple short sentences. Creativity is not a gift given to a select few. It is a difficult-to-master, acquired skill that develops through consistent practice. You simply had to show up every day and do the work, even when it felt like there was nothing good in your head. Eureka moments of creative genius were a result of consistency and practiced creativity, not some divine gift. He thought back to the writing is easy, you just stare at the blank page until blood comes out of your forehead, quote, and laughed. It was so accurate that he wanted to hug whoever had actually said it. When he would struggle to get started writing, which happened more often than not, he would smile and imagine blood dripping from his forehead. Then, in his mind's eye, he would smash the blood droplet onto the page, making a bloody fingerprint that was his and his alone on the page. It would usually inspire him to start writing the first words of the day, no matter how bad it sounded. As today's session began, Eric told Dr. Harper with a laugh how he'd often think about the quote to get him started for the day. She replied, Gene Fowler supposedly said another thing, Eric, that you might consider. The best way to become a successful writer is to read good writing, remember it, and then forget where you remembered it from. He didn't mean a person should steal or plagiarize. What Fowler meant was that creativity is never something that comes solely from you. Our experiences inspire everything we create. Through the experience of reading a good book, you slowly learn how to become a good writer yourself. Your memories and experiences build who you are. To Eric, this didn't seem quite right, so he asked, but isn't that like plagiarism, taking other people's work? Adding value isn't the same as recycling value, Eric. It's one thing to take someone's recipe and claim it as your own, and completely another if you take the recipe and add something unique, something with your fingerprint on it. Were the Beatles the first group who took guitars and sang lovely tunes? No, but they revolutionized pop music by adding something that nobody did before. Creativity may seem like a solo journey, but really, it's a joint venture of anyone who decides to take it. That's the reason why creativity and art is progressive. Without early blues like Robert Johnson, we wouldn't have early rock and roll like Elvis. Without Elvis, we wouldn't have evolved rock into bands like Pink Floyd. You have the same pattern in painting. Abstract expressionism likely wouldn't exist if it weren't for realism and surrealism paving the way. Every artistic expression is a reaction to a prior action, and with time, the reaction spurs a new reaction. Art, in any form or shape, is the most majestic chain reaction humanly possible. And the worst thing you can do is to be hard on yourself about creativity. She paused to look at him intently, then asked, have you ever heard of cryptomnesia, Eric? No, Dr. Harper. Sounds like a type of amnesia, obviously. Eric replied, vaguely intrigued. Cryptomnesia is a phenomenon when a forgotten memory returns without the person realizing. Imagine this scenario. 
a person goes to a bar and hears someone playing a certain tune. Years pass and the person writes a song he believes is his own creation. But later, he finds out the song already exists. The tune just got locked in the dark corners of his subconscious. What he thought was a creative moment was nothing more than his mind providing breadcrumbs of a forgotten memory. Each mind is a vast universe unto its own. It's impossible to discover and understand every single corner. When you look at it that way, it's not surprising that more often than not, the mind manages to fool the owner. It can even make you believe other people's memories are your memories. There are some research studies whereby simply seeding fake memories into a test subject's head, like that they took an air balloon ride as a kid, they will quickly start reinforcing it, deciding that it's true. Think of everything that happens in your mind as a theatrical play while the subconsciousness is the director. The guy sucks at the job, if you ask me. Everything is non-linear and often doesn't make sense. Most of the time, we wake up wondering what exactly was happening in the dark corners of our mind. You could even say we're all suffering from existential amnesia by default. But if you find a practical way to express who you are, you might just shed some light on the parts hidden in those corners. Although Dr. Harper kept talking, Eric unintentionally took another deep dive into his own mind. Her voice slowly began to echo as it moved further and further away. Images gradually replaced her voice as he strained to remember. The bloody fingerprint on the shattered windshield. But this time, the image had more context. But wait, was it on the outside? He'd previously always seen himself inside the car. Or wait, was it someone else? And then it came rushing back. He saw himself standing on the railing of a balcony, tears in his eyes and a cold breeze in his face. And then, as he leapt, a newspaper article that had been clutched in his left hand fluttered slowly to the ground as time seemed to stand still. Back in the real world of the psych ward, returning from his deep recall, his blood turned cold and he shuddered. Eric turned to Dr. Harper with wild eyes. It appeared as if for some time she'd sat staring at him without saying a word. Angry, Eric shouted, Why didn't you tell me the truth? In a voice that was simultaneously warm as the spring sun and cold as the winter snow, Dr. Harper replied, What exactly do you remember, Eric? With his head now in his hands, shaking, Eric murmured, did I really jump off a building? Yes, Eric, you did. What happened then? You landed on a car and suffered a severe concussion. Plus, of course, the fractured skull and all the other broken bones you already know all about. You'd fortunately landed fairly flat, otherwise you might have broken your neck. And also, the balcony wasn't quite high enough to kill you. You were very lucky, Eric. The doctors managed to save your life. The next day you woke up, and as you previously stated, you were insistent you were in a car crash, along with some other things that concerned them. That's when they called me. What else do you remember? Eric explained everything he'd just seen to Dr. Harper. She probed him with more questions, but the trail had gone cold again. All he recalled was the traumatic event that put him in here. 
Everything else still remained in the dark. Eric looked as if he was still in shock. Dr. Harper leaned forward in her chair and looked him directly in the eyes. We hoped once you settled into a rhythm in here with your writing that your mind might loosen its hold on the truth. Eric, this is a huge breakthrough. Look at how far you've come from someone needing to attempt suicide to a person who hasn't felt depressed in a year at least. Maybe you're realizing this was a chapter you needed to close. Think of yourself as a blank page on which you can now start a whole new story. Not feeling any better, Eric's tears mixed with his saliva, making it hard to speak. What's the point? She replied thoughtfully. Your fingerprint is yours alone. It's one of a kind, whether bloody or not. And every story can have both a happy or a sad ending. It's up to the writer. And no matter what ending you decide upon, it's good if it's the one that you create. Dr. Harper stood up and smiled. Just like a piece of art, life is never perfect. There's always room for creative improvement. Keep writing, Eric. I'll see you next week. About 18 more months passed since realizing the bloody fingerprint seared onto his memories was of his own doing. He'd embraced Dr. Harper's plan of what she called her own brand of progressive art therapy. They agreed on writing goals each week that he had to meet. It was a struggle at first, but now he readily exceeded the goals every week. His ears were particularly attuned to listen for her footfalls because today was no ordinary day in the psych ward. Today was their last session before his hearing with the state board to see if they agreed with Dr. Harper's assessment that he was no longer a threat to himself. And also, he had a big surprise for her. Hello, Eric, she said as she entered. Are you ready for the big day? More ready than anything I can remember, he replied, although that's not saying much. Dr. Harper laughed as she said, I'd imagine that's true. So the main thing to remember is that the board will be hung up on the fact that you still haven't recovered from your amnesia. I'm confident I've made a solid case in my report to them on why I feel this no longer matters for you, but they're still going to focus on it. To compensate for this, you're going to have to agree in writing that if the memories come back, you're immediately put back into therapy with me. So as we rehearsed, just try to stick to the talk track, which syncs up with my report. I'm very confident that you've recovered, so this is really just a hurdle we need to get past. Understood, he replied. Besides, if I can afford it, I plan to stay in private sessions with you anyway. Once I'm out of here, I'm afraid I'll have too many distractions of real life and will need someone to keep me honest for my weekly writing goals. She replied with a smile, Eric, you've healed yourself through creative exploration and writing. So even though that didn't bring back your memories, as I'd hoped, trust me when I say you're in a far healthier state of mind than most of my non-psych ward patients out there in the real world. But if you want to continue private sessions, I'll see if we can maybe even find a way to make that happen through some state funding. The board might be more likely to approve your release anyway, if that was the case. Great, Eric replied especially since I have no idea if I have any money anyway. I was told by the staff here 
that the state is managing my affairs, but no one could give me any details. But to that end, I have some good news to share. Really, she replied? Good news usually doesn't come from these halls, so I'm intrigued. He pulled a large envelope addressed to his name from under his bed and handed it across. The sender appeared to be a publishing company. What's this? And how did you pull this off from in here? I've been in here a long time, Dr. Harper, and you get to know the staff quite well. And also the best means of bribery after a while, Eric replied with a smile. Go ahead, have a look inside. She pulled out a typed set of pages marked with red pen. She quickly read the cover letter and looked up at Eric with genuine amazement. This is amazing, Eric, or should I say Aldford? That's a worthy and very literate sounding pen name if I've ever heard one. To get published from inside a mental ward is no small feat, and I'm sure your publisher loves the marketing power of that story. You were a big part of my recovery, Dr. Harper. I seriously can't thank you enough. I just might have to dedicate this book to you. On a related note, you're going to love the cover, but for that, you're going to have to wait and see. And for now, I'll discontinue singing your praises anymore until you get me out of here today. Sid started the meeting by saying, Eric, perfection is not when there is no more to add, but no more to take away. The earlier in your writing career you learn this, the better. Sid's office looked like an homage to artistic culture of all varieties, with books, music, and art filling the room in all directions. Eric sat nervously in a chair in front of his desk, still in disbelief that he was not only out of the psych ward, but also talking to his publisher about details for his book. It was so hard to believe that just a couple years ago, he'd woken up in a hospital with no memory and no knowledge of nearly killing himself. So to that end, Sid continued, some of the stories still need the fat cut, but a few of them are nearly perfect as is. In particular, the man who saw the truth is ready to go. I love this story. I almost considered it as a separate piece to help build your name. It does fit perfectly into the bigger picture of this set of short stories, so I don't think we can break it out. It will be the one people remember, I think. Smiling, Eric remembered being embarrassed to tell Dr. Harper about coming up with the idea for that story. That was actually the first story I came up with, he said. At least, it's the first one I know about. So you really think my work has potential? I still can't shake the feeling that it lacks having enough creativity. I guess I just can't believe I've created art that other people will want to consume. It's an amazing feeling that makes me want to write more, but it still doesn't seem real. Is it really so hard to believe, Eric? The story you told me about learning to write well is an incredible tale of perseverance to both try and find out who you were, but also to efficiently turn yourself into a writer. It's a fantastic feat, even if you were a writer in the past and just don't remember it. I think the problem you're having with this is not about you, but about the social perception we all get wired to believe about creativity and art. Creativity is not mystical or magical. You're proof of that. Art is like philosophy. It's about creating deeper, 
and better questions about life and what's possible. And art is a highly diverse and nuanced category of creative production that can be anything. Even science can be very creative. I spend my entire day, hell, my entire career, convincing people that they have creativity and beauty in their mind, which needs to be put to paper, no matter what their focus. The creative process is the most human thing we have, and therefore the most precious. It's further made valuable by the fact that most people think it's unavailable to them. Most think artists are born, not made. And you now know firsthand that the opposite is true. Another important question that you'll start to ask now that you're an artist is, what is actual art and how do we perceive it? Understanding the objective beauty of life and how we perceive art will change the way you perceive life. Living a life of meaning is itself an art and requires skill and care. If you begin to ask yourself, how does art help me understand life? Then you'll find endless directions for your creativity to grow. An author named James Baldwin once wrote that the purpose of art is to lay bare the questions which have been hidden by the answers. Everything you need to know about why you're doing what you're doing, Eric, is in that bit of wisdom. Eric thought about it and didn't know how to respond. He'd been warned by Sid's staff to change the subject if he started to wax too poetic. Eric was just happy to be here, though, so he took what he could grasp from Sid's words and tried to change the subject. I hope you don't mind me asking, but have you achieved your goals with your publishing company? The mission written on your website is like a presidential address or maybe like a philosophy book, and your clientele list is equally inspiring. I was just curious if you'd care to share. Sid paused to think and then answered, Hmm, have I achieved my goals? That's an interesting question, as my purpose in life and this business have been an ever-evolving journey. My life is a long story that I'll save you the pain of hearing in detail, but I will give you the Cliff's Notes. I was born into a wealthy family that provided me everything except one thing, the freedom of life experience. I lived in a bubble where the only thing I had was endless knowledge. It's one of the best things in the world, of course, so I'm not complaining. It could have been far worse. But too much of one thing and not enough reality doesn't have balance. So one day, I decided I needed to go out into the world. I left and I never went back. Before leaving home that first day, I never knew what it felt like to be poor or even sick. I didn't know either happiness or suffering, but my gut told me I needed a lot of both if I was ever going to add any value to the world. After experiencing all the hardships of life, my path became more clear to me. I decided I wanted to help people who helped me when I was young, writers. Books had been my reason for living for a long time. Even after all the time I spent on the road learning about life, my journey didn't really begin until I started this book publishing company. As Eric listened, he was fascinated by the fact that every person in this world has a unique path. And it seemed only people who find meaning walk the path with a smile and satisfaction. 
Eric hoped to one day achieve the same sort of enlightenment about his journey in life. Sid appeared to fall into deep thought, then continued. Thinking about you and all of the clients I try to help, I wonder if an individual can even make it in this society. It's such a complex system of people, relationships, and organizations all running on the same operating system, human nature. The pressure society puts on each of us is huge, but when I look at my experience, I do feel everyone can personally improve by learning from the best and worst parts of society. What are your thoughts on this after what you've been through with the amnesia and everything? Eric didn't know what to say. I'm not sure. I feel like a bit of a novice at even being a human right now, let alone how I feel about society. I feel a bit like I died and was reborn with this amnesia. Maybe it was a good fortune of sorts to wake up without any knowledge of my past life. Like when flowers die in the fall, only to be reborn in the spring. So must we. Maybe this is why we have seasons. But instead of being reborn as the same person, we become a slightly different person each time. Maybe we have to play the roulette of dying and being reborn until we are finally reborn into something we want to be. Sid laughed. You're right, it's almost like spiritual reincarnation. I felt the same thing happen to me what felt like millions of times on my journey. But you're right, there's no definitive answer. I guess we'll need to wait for the next season in hopes of finding it. But we're not going to change the course of society by just sitting here. So let's get started on this editing plan so we can move on to discussing how we're going to market this book of yours. In the same chair, nearly a year later, Sid sat looking at the first hardcover edition of Aldford's book. Aldford had signed the book and given it to Sid with a note which read, Sid, thank you for helping my journey by including me in yours. All the best, Aldford. Getting a signed copy of the first book off the press was a tradition Sid shared with every author, and a stretch of such books lined the walls of his office. Once his writers committed to a pen name, Sid usually only referred to them by that name. He was happy about the pen name in this case. Some of them were terrible, as Aldford Herbert had a far better marketing ring to it than Eric Clemens. No offense intended to your old identity, Sid thought, but you sound like a boring guy who works in a cubicle, not a brilliant writer of edgy sci-fi. After admiring the cover once more, it had turned out excellent. Sid put the book on the shelf behind his desk. As he was about to head to lunch, he checked his email and saw an unexpected message. It was an email from Dr. Harper. They'd corresponded a few times when Aldford was first released. She'd asked for his help to notify her if Eric, as she called him, ever started talking about his previous identity or acting depressed in any way. Sid scanned the email. His eyes opened wide in shock as he read a few of the sections. Her email explained that Eric had approved Sid to be privy to his medical history, as needed, to fully enable his recovery and make sure his book saw its way to fully being published. With the book now published, she said in the note, she was writing to reveal a few things 
that she thought it was important for Sid to know. She hadn't wanted to cloud the publishing process by sending this information any earlier. Sid reread aloud a few sections of the email he wanted to fully digest. I didn't think it was relevant before, but now that his mind will be less occupied, I want to make sure Eric never has a relapse. There's always a chance something might trigger old memories and some, or all, of his old identity could come flooding back. Since you will likely be in closer contact with him going forward than I will be, and you're the only person I know who knows the new Eric, it would be helpful if you could keep a watchful eye on him knowing this information. The reason Eric was locked up by the state is because that was his fourth failed suicide attempt. Eric has no immediate family alive, and if he has extended or distant family, no one stepped up to claim or visit him. No apparent friends replied either. There was one close friend who helped him previously, but he didn't respond to calls this time. We can only guess that over the course of years of his mental illness, he distanced himself from everyone, or vice versa, as can happen. But we don't know. I treated Eric after the last two of the four suicide attempts. I tried to look at what hadn't worked previously and what didn't work for me to come up with a new treatment plan. I decided on the combined drug and therapy you already know about. One of the few things we were able to find out about the real Eric was that he was an English literature major in college. So perhaps we've had some success this time because he actually became a writer. Maybe he was a writer some point professionally, but we don't know. We couldn't find employment records and assume he must have just been freelancing after college. This also isn't the first time he's taken on other creative identities. In fact, he thought he was a musician after the third attempt. But as he appeared to have no musical skills, there was nothing to lean on in trying to help him. But the writing seemed to click this time. It's like he killed off Eric and Aldford was born through exploring his creativity. I've never seen a case quite like it. It's amazing if you think about it. What if you could decide one morning to kill off the part of your identity that isn't living the life you want and in its place, replace it with a new one? In this case, a new identity with both the will and the skill to create things as a means of building a practice of learning to be happy. And I suppose, in some ways, we do have that opportunity each day, we just don't take it. At first, it was odd to me that the bloody fingerprint image kept coming back to him. But as it continued to resurface, I began to wonder if it represented this metaphorical death-suicide we all need to put ourselves through to shed the uncreative masks which society makes us wear. It also may have described to him the unique fingerprint that is our individual brand of art, which we all toil to find, until blood comes from our forehead, so to speak. Being in the business you're in, Sid, I can imagine you see a lot of these behaviors and challenges in our collective human nature. Sid turned away from the email and looked out the window. He knew the quote she was referring to quite well and laughed out loud at the reference. He'd used that one with many writers before who claimed to be blocked. Eric becoming Aldford was almost worthy of its own work of fiction. 
the thought made him wonder something. Where did Aldford come up with his ideas for stories without memories? Aldford seemed to have maintained knowledge about lots of things in the world, but yet his amnesia had selectively wiped away his own story. Curious, he grabbed Aldford's book they'd just published back off the shelf. He skipped forward to his favorite story in the collection, The Man Who Sought the Truth. He scanned the story he already knew very well, looking for clues. At its core, it was a story about a man trying to understand himself and the truth by exploring whether or not there were fundamental truths about the world. Could it be this was an autobiographical tale about Eric's journey to find the truth about himself? The character does get killed off in the end. Was this story a metaphor for his search for Aldford? This creative alter ego or identity he felt was within him? And that's when it hit him. He didn't love this particular story on accident. He loved this story for a reason. He'd had it pitched to him before. It was such a long time ago, but still, Sid's mind itched as a long-forgotten memory resurfaced. His heart raced with that feeling of exhilaration when a creative connection is made unexpectedly in your mind. Still holding Aldford's book, he walked down the row of signed books, scanning the names as he went. No, 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 yes. There it was, the name staring right back at him. He couldn't believe he hadn't made the connection earlier. Talk about a secret hidden in plain sight. He grabbed a title called In a Dark Place off the shelf and opened the cover. There it was, right where he'd left it, a newspaper clipping Sid had inserted into the cover so many years ago. He scanned the article to the relevant place and started reading. The author of seven novels and two collections of short stories, including his latest book titled In a Dark Place, was killed today in a car crash. Police don't know the cause of the accident as the car was found on an unmarked stretch of road wrapped around a tree. At the bottom of the page, there was a gruesome photo of the man inside the car, clearly dead, with his arm draped onto the dashboard. The day he got the phone call about his death came rushing back to Sid. He'd just met with him the previous day. They had discussed the exact story that he now held in his left hand. He'd sworn Sid to secrecy about the idea, saying that the only other person who knew about it was his best friend. With a slow, deliberate movement, he held the old newspaper article side by side with Aldford's book. Sid stood motionless, staring at the two images for what felt like minutes. Both images were of a nearly identical bloody fingerprint. As a front page cover image, the news article had used a zoomed in shot of a bloody fingerprint from the windshield of the car. The guy had been a very popular writer, so they clearly decided they needed a sensational attention grabber worthy of their subject. But somehow, Aldford had directed the artist to design almost the exact same image for the cover of his book. When Sid broke from his stare, he wondered if it was possible the fingerprint was the bridge Aldford's mind had used to connect the two events and mix them up. Either way, it didn't matter now. He reopened the cover 
of In a Dark Place to return the article where he'd found it. Looking at the author's face, printed on the dust jacket, Sid smiled and said aloud, I'm really glad that story didn't die with you, my old friend. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.